Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. In Southern California, just outside Hollywood, there is a most unusual hotel. A hotel dedicated to the golden age of cinema and the departures of its most influential and notorious players. It is a destination that spotlights the manners in which these men and women of Hollywood perished. From the merciless shooting of movie strongman Albert Wayne at the Walker Street Motor Inn, to the icy beating of piano player Leonard Maggs at the Twin Slopes Lodge in Utah. The rooms are decorated with an array of evidence and clues unique to each death and fitted with a cast of department store mannequins which stand in for those involved. Welcome to the Swan Hotel. Tonight we make our way to the ninth floor, where we open a door and enter a sleepy room at the Grove Valley Resort in Palm Springs. Intro mannequin of Miss Sophia Resnick, lying soundly between guests. Portrait of a silent film star, a faded jewel confined to her bed, buried by the years of progress and forgotten in the sands outside Hollywood. Kneeling at her side, her only friend in the world, a feature reporter by the name of Danny Friedman, a mere moment frozen in time, sealed tightly with the simple decor of room 901. Did I ever tell you the time that uh, Gene Mailer asked me to marry him? Really? Oh, he looked at me and said, Sophia, you're the ink in my well. Marry me. And I looked at him and said, well, that's fine. But what about your wife? <laughs> and uh, Frank Conway, too. Well, I never knew that. Oh, men were always fickle around me, asking me to run away with them. You couldn't blame them, though. I was something in Beniful back then. You still are. <laughs> Flatterer. What did I tell you about this Palm Springs sun? You see, your vision's already diminishing. I mean it. You're as ravishing as ever. Feeling whimsy, Mr. Friedman? <laughs> Sophia, I'd run away with you any day. There it is. <laughs> I uh, brought you some water for your tablets. Ah, yes. My tablets. Tranquilizers, barbiturates. Where does it end? I, I guess it doesn't until I'm comatose. Don't talk like that. 
Oh, it's true. Subdue and sedate before I can get wise. That's their angle. Would you like something to eat? I can make us some lunch. Uh, I, I don't really have much of an appetite. You should try and eat something. You need your strength with the morphine. Listen, I don't think your tuna and watercress is going to make that much of a difference. In fact, I was hoping we could work through lunch and go over those chapters we've been talking about. The, the ones after Harold died. I, uh, I've got some clippings I'd like to show you. And now I was thinking um, of some stories and anecdotes from my time in New York. That might be a good place for the, the piece on morning travelers. What is it? My, my back. Are you all right? Yes, I, I, I just... Look, the chapters can wait. You need to rest. I'll take that box out of the bed. Would you just, just set it on the floor? Is that better? Yes, thank you. You are sweet to wait on me like you do. Is, is there anything you need? Uh, money? Sophia. Or... Well, if there's anything you need, I want to help. I, I think of you as family. And I think of you as family, too. But I came to you six months ago to write an article on your Hollywood home. You've done more than enough for me. Azaleas and tapestries. A waste of your talents. <laughs> You're to pen my memoirs. Tell the real story. And I'm honored. You invited me into your home and your life. I'm grateful. You don't owe me a thing. Where were you 40 years ago? <laughs> Just a lump of clay. Well, you had a hell of a sculptor. What was that you were saying about running away? <laughs> Sophia, you're insatiable. Why bother with pills when all I need is a daily dose of sweet talk? <laughs> Tell me, when your husband passed, did you ever consider remarrying? No. No, after Harold died, I, I had convinced myself I would never truly fall in love again. Those were some big shoes to fill. You know, it was never work with Harold, even early on. It's not to say that I wasn't open to loving again. It just never happened. I looked. I, I loved sharing my life with someone. I wanted that. I loved being in love. But I never found it again. Not like with Harold. Over the years, I realized we each got one real, one absolute love. You never got lonely? I'm Sophia Resnick. Who's lonely? <laughs> Fame isn't necessarily a ticket to companionship. No. But memories are. Sure, holidays and anniversaries were a bit solitary. The first five years were tough. I... I miss the little things. Trying to make him laugh. Uh, coming home to him, running lines in the mirror. Oh, his smell. But the memories of Harold were far richer than anything waiting for me outside. The world never stood a chance. In my own private screening room up, up here in my head. Harold was always the star, and me, his leading lady. It was one of the luckiest roles I ever played. Where did you two meet? Oh, in a production of Couples. 
He was the only man I ever trusted. But you keep flashing those pearly whites at me. <laughs> I can't help it. Your life is infectious. Well, another time and a few less wrinkles, and I could guarantee you a fervent love affair. Now, how is it that you haven't already been snatched up? I don't really think I'm husband material. <laughs> well, listen, with that smile and those dimples, you're whatever you want to be. Well, I guess I've been too busy to notice. There's a vast firmament of shining stars out there, Danny. Find the one that uh, shines back at you. No. Oh. Is, it, is it your back? It's um, my stomach. Here. Take another tablet. Better? For now, I... But I'm beginning to think these tablets are futile. Do you want the eyedropper? No, no. I, I, I don't trust that liquid solution. I want to stay smart. <clears throat> oh, sure. I can go an hour, maybe two, but... This pain is unrelenting. My cancer is determined. Anything inside you would be. This is true. My work over the years can attest to that. My awards. Those pictures in that box. I do question, though, whether or not the same fight remains in me. Pass me that picture, would you? No, no, um, the one on top. Henrik Stroman wrote me this letter before filming The Scarab Queen. It says, Dear Sophie, he always called me Sophie, As you and your bank manager are surely aware, we begin production on The Scarab Queen late this spring. I'm writing you because I know you are a woman that's used to getting what she wants, and that your reputation is that of a haughty sort. And I'm sure you know I have a bit of a reputation myself. That being said, all of my colleagues have advised me against working with you. However, the studio is adamant about you. And I am adamant about their money and the amount they're willing to put up for this picture. A picture I have personally put in years of development and sacrifice. To put it simply, we are stuck here with each other. Therefore, I suggest, in the interest of the film, our best course of action would be to practice the virtue of silence. There are to be no comments about where I put my camera or where I shine my lights. Stand where I want you to stand and say what I want you to say. With this in mind, I have no doubt that you and I will find a kind of lasting harmony. Fondly, Henrik. You, uh, framed it. Well, of course. Why? Well, I scared the fearless. But now I'm the one who's scared. What scares you? What scares me? Not knowing. Get some rest, Sophia. Uh, really coming down out there. How did you sleep? Well, sound until the symphony of pots and pans resounding from the kitchen. Oh, I 
I made you a snack. Oh, I'm not hungry. Thank you. What is it, anyway? Toast and jam. You mean to tell me that little thing's the product of all that commotion? And it's the most successful batch, if I do say so myself. Well, I suppose it won't kill me. Thank you. Hmm. It's not bad. I typically like my toast a bit more blackened. <laughs> well, I think there's a short in the toaster. Well, I can put on a lot of jam. <laughs> Did I ever tell you um, about the, um, the dinner at the Lambert Awards? No. It was me, Leslie Hudson, Paul Montgomery, Elizabeth Crane, Atticus Blythe, all at the same table. Leslie and Paul were such cut-ups. You know they never made a film together? They were such a funny pair and so witty. Leslie had a little bit of a crush on me, but, you know, he never did anything about it. He was so shy. Not like Paul. Paul was a peacock on the floor, a, a constant performer, especially for an audience in backless gowns. We were so young and worldly beyond our years. They're all gone now. Well, except for Paul. He's been out of pictures, though, for 20 years. Last time I saw him, I barely recognized him. A stranger, even in the eyes. I mean, women used to swoon over his green eyes. And now, tiny lumps of coal nestled in crow's feet. It's hell getting old. And let me tell you this, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Give me a cigarette, would you? But... Oh, it's fine. Don't be a Boy Scout. It's quite a thing watching everyone around you die. Harold was young, I mean, taken very early and far too quickly, but when everyone you've ever known starts dropping, you see things differently. Instead of looking in the mirror at my wrinkles and asking, where has the time gone? I ask, where is the time going? I look at myself and suddenly I see an expiration date. How many nights I wished I could turn back the clocks 20 years, 10 years, hell, five years, if I had just a little more time, a few extra grains of sand in the hourglass. But as the months go and the seasons change, you, you start to see your life now for what it is. Borrowed time. That doesn't sound like the Sophia I know. <laughs> You're telling me. What about a new project? A comeback? 
something invigorating. You always talk about how you wanted to play Calypso. <laughs> I think my jaundice would turn it into a monster film. <laughs> Don't be silly. I'm talking about the role of a lifetime. And I could write it. Oh, a role of a lifetime? Honey, I've already had several. And even if I could find the strength to pull myself out of this bed, the studios don't want me. Everything I've done over the past several years has been out of kindness. Charity in the form of scraps. A cameo here, an appearance there. I'm yesterday's news. I can't take the frustration of living half-measure anymore. Let's face it. My ticket's been punched. Sophia. I am a thespian. Still on stage, well after the last curtain call. It's time I exit. What are you saying? I'm saying that all the sweet praises in the world can't distract from the fact that I'm wasting away waning on the hopes of being born again on the pages of some biography which at this rate is in my condition it's gonna read more of an epitaph I'll do you justice I have no doubt that you will but I can't bear to watch myself lay here and rot my body is going but my mind my mind is as sharp as ever I can't always get the words out, but in my head, I know exactly what I'm saying. I am more articulate than I have ever been. That awareness terrifies me. Sophia, just take a moment. I have taken 83 years, and it's been a hell of a ride. It's time. <laughs> I, I can't be part of this. <laughs> I understand. There is an envelope over there in the drawer with instructions, uh, additions to the will. S Sid will take care of the rest. Sophia, please. Let me see that smile again. a little difficult under the circumstances. There we go. Damn you. Take the eyedropper. I don't know what... Do you want me to give you a moment and come back? Is there anything you want me to do or say? I... I'm sorry, I don't... Let's just try to get this on one take. How's that? Would you like me to hold your hand? That would be nice.
How do I look? I have a reunion. I want to look my best. You look radiant. In a room surrounded by dunes sits an oasis, a wellspring of vitality and a conduit to another era. Former queen of the silent screen, who observed the insistent sands of time and laid down her scepter. Entombed with her earthly treasures, guests of this still room will find boxes of dummy scrapbooks and prestigious awards. Hidden speakers loop the pitter-patter of raindrops, while a projector mimics their shadows running down the wall. On the nightstand, a multitude of painkillers, including a lone eyedropper resting against the fingertips of Mr. Friedman, companion, friend, and silent guardian. Exit Miss Sophia Resnick, a star whose death was a mere annotation penciled into the margins of her legacy. This four-walled shrine dusted off and placed on a pedestal nine stories high. Another heartfelt offering from your brick-and-mortar host, The Swan Hotel. Tales from the Swan Hotel is written and directed by Thaddeus Ellenberg and produced by Will Scovel. Tonight's episode starred Anna Saragina as Sophia Resnick, Nick Palm as Danny Friedman, and I'm Ron Chapman. Original theme by Nick Stargue, artwork by Justin Devine. Tales from the Swan Hotel is independently produced by Will Scovel and Thaddeus Ellenberg. You can find more episodes and help the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and Stitcher or leaving a comment on SoundCloud.